Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. Our kids lose it, learn, losing a whole year of, of learning in their whole lives. And when they come back, you have to do two years at once now. My, my feeling is no. I mean, kids are still learning things. They're, we're doing our part on the academic end. They're still learning things in their lives and growing. There are some things that we didn't get to this year. There's going to be things that we didn't get to and that when we come back, maybe we do need to hit some of those. Um, I think it's likely that we do. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. And this is Tangie Reed Marshall. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a high quality education, no matter what their background. In the spring, we talked with Dan St. Louis, principal of University Park Campus School in Worcester, Massachusetts, and he talked about how difficult the sudden closure was for his school. University Park has been operating remotely this year, and we're back to hear how they're doing. As I said in the spring, UPCS is a really special school. It's very small, only about 250 students in grades 7 through 12. It serves its direct neighborhood of about five square blocks, very near Clark University. I'm really pleased to say that Mr. St. Louis has been joined by English teacher Jeremy Shulkin, adjustment counselor Lauren Colwell, and instructional coach Caitlin Snow. In addition, two students, seniors Pedro Hidalgo and Debreen Adon are here to talk about how this year has been for them and their fellow students. Um, Pedro and Debreen, let's start with you. I'm guessing this isn't what you thought your senior year of high school would be like. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty interesting, you know. I mean, at least for my point of view, nobody was prepared. Neither the teachers, no, no, the government, nobody was prepared. The students definitely weren't prepared for it. But yeah, so far I had adjusted to it. How about you, Pedro? Yeah, it's definitely, definitely been a strange year, especially everything that's been going on with um, the pandemic. Um, just, I guess, families adjusting to this like new way of learning for certain, for their kids and for certain people. Um, you know, I guess it's just one of those things where it's just like, you try to be as prepared as you possibly can. and you kind of just um, you take it, you take your lessons as you go, and you just adjust as you, as you can, and you keep adapting and doing the best that you can for your kids, for your family, and for anyone around you. Pretty much. Have you and your families been able to stay safe? Um, uh, for me, um, God bless that all my family members have been good. You know, um. People close to me, like uh, family, friends, my own friends have been affected by COVID and I've seen it. I have called them and stuff like that, but not like the people I live with, which I'm thankful of. Um, I think that has helped a lot, though, is um, the school help with like the COVID situation, like giving us a place to where we can get tested and a place to where we can get tested and stuff like that. So, yeah. I just been keeping it for myself because um, my parents, like especially my mom, had a huge surgery in the past, so she can't really like get sick that much be because of her like health issues. So yeah. So you have to be especially careful. Yes. How about you, Pedro? Yeah, I agree with the brain. Thankfully, and God bless that nobody in my family has gotten sick. I know people around me have gotten sick, um, like my godmother. I hope she feels better. Um, but just like the brain, my mom has um she has MS, multiple sclerosis. So we kinda have to be a lot more cautious and careful when we're either um doing when she goes out, like we have to make sure that she's she has her mask on, she has she has, she wears like um gloves or something when she goes to work just making sure that she's taking the extra precautions in order for, you know, in order for her to stay healthy and to, to just like make sure that she doesn't get 
she doesn't get sick, so she doesn't get us sick, you know? So, yeah. Right. So, so how has attending school been for you? Do you feel as if you've been able to learn what you need before you graduate? Um, for me, uh, I feel like the school has done a great job on like teaching us to, um, the computer because, um, at first I didn't really, I thought of it as a hassle. Um, I didn't really think of it as like, we really going to do this in the middle of a pandemic, you know? Um, especially since, you know, I'm becoming an adult and like through senior year, so many things has happened to me during this pandemic. Like I got my permits, uh, I got a job, I'm a senior, I'm applying to college. You know, there's so many things that's going on. I'm becoming an adult, you know? So like going through a screen, like it's cool. I just started as a hassle, but um, so far they still are teaching me, you know, and they're very understandable of the situation. How about you, Pedro? I would definitely agree with everything that Davina said. Um, I'm I'm almost I've been busy trying to take care of my mom, babysitting. Um, definitely, hopefully, I'll get my license soon because I'm almost done with my hours. I think um, I think the thing that our school does very well even through this virtual learning is that they really help. They really try to help us as best as possible to learn, um, I guess, the skills that are necessary. Not like, I'm not trying to say that they don't teach us the materials because we are, I feel like our school does um, help us learn the material. Like um, if it's just English class, like we understand the um, how to like put parentheses and certain things and stuff like that. But I do feel that our school does help prepare us for like just necess- like skills that are necessities like time management, learning, learning to use your time wisely, learning to to just take certain parts of your day to focus on that one thing. And then I guess just learning how to do that throughout the day and then still have time for things that you enjoy, like I guess just like watch movies or something. But like they really do emphasize like get your work done first, and then you can have your leisure time. Mr. Shulkin, you're the English teacher who's teaching parentheses, among other things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How did you help make school go from being a hassle to something that that your students um, appreciated was helping them actually navigate this difficult situation? Well, I'm I'm lucky enough to have the brain and Pedro in my classes this year, and I think I think they're I think something that is worth noting about our students is that they have done an incredible job of being positive as well. And I think and the, the class that I have them in in particular stands out as one that has been fun to teach for me even from the beginning because they came in, I guess you know, just ready to roll with the punches. And they found ways to make their personalities come through even remotely, like, you know, using the chat feature in, in Google Meet or, you know, like finding the right time to unmute their microphone and, and talk or turn their cameras on. Um, and that's not the case in every class of mine, you know, certainly, especially sort of lower high school grades are, are a little more, they don't know each other as well and they're a little more shy. They don't know me. I've, I've been able to teach Debrina and Pedro multiple times. Um, but so, so in terms of their experience, I think that the kids have brought, our kids have brought a lot of really positive energy to our sort of virtual spaces, which has been really great for me. I mean, it makes my job so much easier when I don't feel like I always have to be a cheerleader or trying to rah, rah, rah kids around virtual learning, which is something that is very hard to rah, rah, rah kids around and something that even I have trouble rah, rah, rahing around. Um, so that has been really helpful. But I mean, in, in the broader sense, it's, you know, we're trying to stay positive, right? Like there's no, like, we don't start every class with some kind of like, oh, I know this sucks, but we just got to do it. You know, it's just like life is progressing all around us. Like Debrina was saying, he's got a job, he's got his license, like all these things, in, amazing things are happening in their lives, even despite COVID and despite school closures. And so, you know, celebrating that stuff, letting kids talk about the good stuff that's going on. Um, 
I've been trying to do things with more student choice. So, you know, when we read something in class, instead of me saying, okay, we're going to read this piece and then do this X, Y, Z, it might be, okay, you have multiple options today. You can read this or watch this or whatever. Um, I'm giving them choices about how to uh, engage with the text. So it might be, okay, we're all going to uh, read this book, but you have four different ways to read it. You can read it with me in a small group. You can read it with a small group of your friends out loud. You can read it silently, or here's an audiobook, and then you can join a group that's running the audiobook. And so I think the thing in my classes have been, you know, like I said, positivity, lots of empathy, lots of sympathy. Kids are having internet connections issues. Um, you don't, you know, I know a fraction of what's going on in their houses, and now the classroom is their house. And so if a kid can't make the class for a day, am I really gonna like dock them ten points because they didn't turn in a worksheet from that class? Like I might have in normal schooling when who knows what the reason was, right? They, they're getting, these kids are getting interrupted by their families. They're getting interrupted by people coming to the house to like the mailman or something. They're who knows, right? Their internet's dropping in and out and they might not be able to tell me. So it's just a lot of being understanding, being really positive, um, trying to foster that sense of community that we already kind of have in our physical space and just trying to recreate that as best as we can in our virtual spaces. Tanji, I know, Tanji's our resident English teacher, and so she has always lots of questions for English teachers. Because parentheses give me such life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they give me life. <laughs> um, no, I've just been sitting here taking so many notes, and just to hear Debrina and Pedro talk about, you know, life moving forward. And Mr. Shulkin, you said, you know, lots of interesting things are happening. You know, they're becoming adults. They're still, the world is still moving. And uh, Debreen said, I got my my permit. I'm, I'm getting a job. I'm helping with this. And then Pedro, you talked about supporting your family. And this intersection between the world outside of school and the world inside of school is more of a dotted line than it used to be. And so um, one of the questions I have is, when school reopens in terms of the building, because schools are not closed, buildings are closed. So when the buildings open back up again, how will you maintain the dotted line so that we don't go back to my life is over here and school is over here? Um. Yeah, uh, I feel like the, what has happened in like, impacted all of us and like I don't feel like it can go back to normal the way it was back then because um as Shokin was talking about you know there's uh the mailman is coming to your house or a family member <laughs> is interrupting you you know or why not um that sense of like it it kind of like gets you more vulnerable to the people like in the classroom you know because it's like you're showing your everyday life or what it's like in your house. Cause there's one thing talking about what's going on in your house and there's another thing like seeing it for yourself, you know? Um, so I think that dotted thing is gonna shrink that a little bit or kind of disappear. But I feel like it's also good because um, now, as I said, the teachers are more understanding of what's going on, you know? If you miss an assignment, I don't think they're gonna, um, push you down a lot, you know, they, they're they going to be just overall more understanding of what the situation is. I, w I wonder how this, all the staff members, uh, you know, the teachers and counselor thought about Tanji's question, because I think it really is a, it's, it's, it's going to be the question of the fall, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if I could jump in here, this is Dan, the principal. Um, you know, I, my mind is spinning right now, listening to all of these <laughs> questions. And I'm, you know, uh, to, so I've got a few points. One is, you know, I, not to, not to downplay our own job as educators, but I am of the opinion that most of the learning that humans do in their lives does not occur in school or within the six hours of the school day. Um, I just think that anyway. Um, so, you know, I, I think of that often when people say, well, the learning loss, our kids lose it, learn, losing a whole year of, of learning in their whole lives. And when they come back, do you have to do two years at once now? My, my feeling is no. I mean, kids are still learning things. They're, we're doing our part 
on the academic end, they're still learning things in their lives and growing. Um, there are some things that we didn't get to this year. There's going to be things that we didn't get to and that when we come back, maybe we do need to hit some of those. Um, I think it's likely that we do. Um, you know, and, and in terms of going forward, there are some things in some I loved uh, Debrine say, you know, you take lessons as you go and you try to, you know, learn and grow and get better every day. One of the things is going to be technology. You know, our building, you know, our building, it's a 135-year-old brick schoolhouse, which when I took over as principal nine years ago, I, I, I'm not sure we had working internet at all, really. Um, never mind, you know, trying to, to, to print something, which maybe printing is out the window now too forever, who knows. But um, I don't think we're going to lose the tech piece because it used to be an extra thing. And we've gotten better with tech over the years. We have Chromebook carts and all of that, but it was still something extra you had to plan for. If Jeremy wanted to do a Chromebook you know, activity with his kids, he'd have to arrange that through a calendar. He'd have to make sure it wasn't signed out somewhere else. He'd have to physically go get them or have kids go get them and physically bring them in, teach everyone how to sign in again. And you know, now how many minutes are gone? Um, now we're going to be a one-to-one -one district. I have no doubt about that. Um, and some things, not everything, and we're a big social learning school and that has taken a big hit, but some things have actually gotten a little easier when you take away that social dynamic. A quick formative assessment can be instant now. Um, no longer will we have that, that setup time and talking to your buddy while you get your Chromebook out, which is all great stuff, but things can go quicker now. And I really hope that when we go back and we get back into groups and we're face to face and we're doing all the good stuff that we always do, we can capitalize on the other aspect, maybe even going smoother than ever. Um, and to the point about, about being school, being connected to life. Um, I think that's, you know, that's, that's in the, the common uh, pedagogical, um, you know, uh, discussions always these days. How can we best honor where kids are coming from, incorporate their experiences into their academics? And, and I think we're trying to do that. Um, and, if, and if some of the lessons that we learned through remote schooling um, push us even further in that direction, I think that's great. I would love to jump in for a second. This is Lauren, the adjustment counselor. Um, Dan, what you were just saying about some of the things that are going to not go away and some of the things that we found that are actually a little bit easier. I would say as someone who reaches out to families to support um, more than just the students, but the families as well, the ease of communication with parents has been so much easier. Um, we are able to text with each other. We're able to send pictures back and forth. Um, you know, I was just spoke, speaking with a Spanish speaking mother yesterday who sent me a picture of the IEP um, and we were able to figure that out together rather than her having to leave her job and come into the school and take her time off of work to do it. Um, we've been having Google Meet uh, meetings with family and, and getting them into our school. They have access to the Google classroom as well. So they get to like actually see what's happening um, as far as assignments are concerned. And that's something from the parent aspect, I don't think we'll ever get rid of because parents for years and years have been dying to be able to keep watch on what assignments their kids have been turning in, especially the younger ones or the less motivated ones. Um, and up until now, we haven't had a way to do that without uh, a teacher taking the time every day to email what assignments are missing to every single student. So the ease is just so clear for parents. It's much better. We have been hearing some, yeah. we have been hearing that relationships with parents have strengthened um, by necessity often, but it has been, that has been a positive uh, through this pandemic. What about you, Ms. Snow? Yeah, I think I, I'm actually pretty excited for like almost a, a relearning of piece here. I think that we have some interesting ways to kind of blend what we what we did in remote learning and what we've got, you know, what we already had established at school. And and you know, the kids have been on the computers now for for nearly a year. And I think that like they're when I say relearning, I mean I think it's going to be like they're going to take some it's going to take some time to get back into the classroom to learn how to have those one-on-one -on -one discussions 
discussions again. Things that we did, you know, before we left pretty, pretty smoothly, I think are going to take a bit of a bit of practice. And, and we're ready for that challenge. And I'm excited to see how technology blends with that. And I think as far as like from a coaching perspective when working with teachers, um, it just seeing how creative teachers have been thus far in remote learning, I can't imagine the possibilities of that blend of, of you know, being in the classroom, but also having the technology. I'm kind of excited to see what the future ahead looks like um, for learning. I think it's pretty, I think it's going to be pretty great if I'm being honest. <laughs> well, you have in your head, you have an example of what you mean by um teachers have been creative. Can you give, can you give one or two examples? Oh, I just, I just mean like when Dan was talking about, you know, formative assessments and the, this idea of Pear Deck and, and, you know, all of our different apps that we've been using and, and, you know, just the idea that we could, we can throw out like, oh, why don't you draw your response to this and, and have, you know, 20 responses come in in a matter of seconds. And, and when Jeremy said the option of choice, right. Um, in the past, Choice meant having to make a hundred different copies of, of different things. And now it just means, you know, would you like to do your assessment this way? Would you like to show me how you know via discussion, via, you know, via draw, whatever, whatever it might be. But there's so many opportunities um, that I think we just didn't have before because of a lack of technology. So I am excited about that. I would add too that, um, Karen, you know our school well and our approach to pedagogy. Um, I mentioned to you in the spring that even, even though at the time we were sending physical paper packets for three weeks at a time, it was they were still so infused with the teachers' voices and personalities and their their in their connection to kids, to the their to the to the kids that they know are on the receiving end of that. And even in and in remote instruction now, um, you know, same thing, but better. So you know, remote instruction here doesn't look like, okay, get on your online textbook and do pages this through that for an hour. It's a teacher genuinely here trying to make a connection using all these digital tools. Now try this, now try that. Now you have this choice um, and still trying to keep that life and that soul in, in the education that we know is, is, is so important. And, you know, I think it was Pedro who said, it might have been Debris, but it might have been Pedro who said, um, they, well, they're still trying to teach us content. And yeah, I mean, you know, the content part is maybe about half of what we try to do as a school. And the rest is skills and confidence and knowing who you are um, and, and being able to go, you know, take the world by the horns when it's your turn. Um, and we're still trying to do that. And, and my teachers are perfectionists and they are really good at what they do. And they know remote school, you know, we're making it sound a little bit rosy here, but remote school is not as good as in-person school. Let me just say that right there. And it frustrates people and people are tired and exhausted um, and, and, and frustrated when they're not doing that job for our kids at the absolute highest level that they know is possible. But we're learning, we're growing. And when we go back, I think the lessons we learned are going to are going to inform our instruction to an even higher level. Well, and you're going to, in theory, you're going to get a chance to do that in March. Is that right? You're preparing to open the building in March? Uh, that's what people are shooting for. Uh, and we'll talk about, so just to give a little picture of the school, it is an old school, it is a brick school, but inside is a lot of wood, creaky wood. I love it. It's a wonderful old school. And I, I mentioned drafty windows and you said, oh, well, we made the mistake of replacing the windows some years ago, uh, because now you would like some drafts, right? So we, what are we you would doing? Have, <laughs> we would have, we would have much better airflow with our original windows from 1885. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you, what, how are you preparing for the opening of the school and how's everybody feeling about that? I guess first the preparation. Yeah. So it's, you know, in Worcester, if, if we go back in March, which, you know, everything is dependent on the, the virus numbers and all of that, but, um, but we're trying to get back in in March. And so for the, for the remainder of the year, students and families have had a choice whether they want to, to return to hybrid, well, not return, but to start hybrid learning mixed of, of remote and in-person, or whether they just want to stay fully remote for the rest of the year. Um, at our school, and, and this is true of the district as a whole, about half of the families have said we're going to stay fully remote. 
and about half have said, you know, we're going to try hybrid. And how that hybrid would work is that um, the hybrid kids, well, not the hybrid kids, but the students who are choosing to return to hybrid education, um, about half of them would come on Mondays and Tuesdays, and about half of them, or half, the other half, would come on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So that's that's about 25% capacity in the building, which would work out to five or six kids per class, something like that. Um, we are, the, the ionizing um, room cleaners have been delivered and are still um, to be hooked up. Um, they're going to circulate the air so many times per Per, um, per hour in each room um, with these ionizing and filters that, that clean the air. Um, everyone will have to be in masks. We've already spaced out the desks at six foot distances. Um, and, and, you know, in, in theory, um, it would be nice if we could separate out, you know, these are gonna be the online classes and these are gonna be the hybrid classes, but in a school of our size, basically there's only one teacher of any given sort of subject matter. Um, so if we go back or if and when we go back hybrid, um, they will be dealing with that, you know, kind of, I've got this many kids on the screen and this many kids in front of me. Um, all teachers will be getting a second monitor and be getting some training um, very soon actually in, in some hybrid um, models uh, that's, that's coming down the pike very soon. Our district has put together some, some models, modules for that. Um, so that's, that's what it kind of looks like logistically right now. So the Malvern principle, uh, Vincent Romano said that key to doing what, what you are planning to do, which is what they're doing, um, is getting an additional camera up on the ceiling. I, you might have to talk to him yourself to really understand <laughs> how that works. But that was key to be, for the students at home to be able to really see what was going on in the classroom uh, with the teacher, you know, I guess at the board and also just teaching. So I, I pass that along for whatever informational value that has. <laughs> thank, thank you. I appreciate that. The, uh, the Something I did hear from the district is that there will be um, kind of teacher voice amplifiers because the teacher in the room is going to be masked. Um, so I, I don't know how that tech is exactly going to work, but that's what I heard as recently as yesterday. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so uh, uh, Jenny Black from uh, Washington Elementary called her teachers with that, you know, rock stars. Rock you know, star teachers, they, that's the, right. The, the, the little the mask, and, yeah. So do teachers get to choose whether they're going to be remote or online or, do, or uh, remote or in-person or they're required to be in-person? Uh, for us, especially, I'm not sure how other schools are approaching it, but for us at our school, there's there's no way to be fully one or the other. They have to be in person. So how, how is everybody feeling about this? Pedro and Debrin, are you going back or are you staying remote? Okay, so for me, um, I feel like is I'm going hybrid just because of the fact, you know, um, that it's just being at home and in school, it's, there's a lot of distractions. Like you can easily be like, uh, you, I don't want to talk to the teacher, so let me mute them or let me shut the computer off and like say later that I had an internet connection. You know, it's so easy to escape class, but <laughs> if you're a hybrid, um, you're going. I am just going to note that everyone uh, on this yeah, call yeah. is now laughing. Yeah. Yes. I will you would never, never do that, Debrian. You would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> so yeah. you're going back hybrid. Pedro, are you what are you doing? Um for me, I'm I mean I'm still not I might I might go hybrid just because um I feel like this pandemic has kind of taught me how to like deal with um I guess just taking risk and just learning a new way of learning or understanding how to do things a certain way. Um my mom, it's more about like my, my mom's safety. Like she says I can go hybrid, but I'm also thinking of, I'm also taking into consideration like what my family thinks, because I, of course, as much as I want to do what I want to do, I also have to make sure that they're okay with it and that, you know, we're all, we're all okay with me doing that hybrid learning and all that. Um, it's anxiety I mean, I provoking. It's an, you, yeah. you're so you you have to take into account a lot of things. What about um, Mr. Shulkin, Ms. Colwell, Ms. Snow? 
are you anxious? Are you looking forward to it? What, how are you doing with this decision? I'm, this is Lauren, Ms. Caldwell. I'm very much looking forward to seeing everyone again. As, as a remote counselor, I am severely lacking in my socialization here. <laughs> I'm not used to being alone. Um, but also as a mom of two elementary school age remote learning children, I am having a hard time managing my job and my family at the same time. We're all in the same space and it's really hard to figure out where that line, um, where that line is. So I'm very much looking forward, but I also have to figure out how to scramble for all these what ifs as, as a, um, as a working mom, what if we do have to go back? I have to go back in person, but I don't feel like my, it's safe enough for my kids to go. What if we have opposite days? I have to find childcare to help. It's, it's kind of anxiety provoking either way, but I wanna be there. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I've kind of hit a wall where I'm more looking forward to being in person, at least for half of our, half of the class. Um, than I would be wanting to stay at home. I, I think by the time we go back, I think last I heard we might be vaccinated by then too. So my my personal health, um, I'm not as concerned about it as I once was. And I don't have a small child at home or anything like that. My fiance who I live with is also an educator, so she'll be vaccinated as well. So I'm I'm not worried about transmitting it to, to anyone close to me. Um, but I, you know, it'll be hard to split your time between half kids online on the computer and half kids in person. And even something as, as small as, you know, like Dan has been saying, our school is so um, good because of our, our relationship with our kids. And, and, and we really pride ourselves in, in being close with them and working with them one-on-one. -on -one. And it's going to be hard to do that from six feet away. And I'm going to, I'm going to probably find myself uh, having a hard time remembering to stay six feet away. And then also at the flip side, like it's more things to keep in track of for classroom management. So now it's not just put your phone away. It's, Oh, put your mask back on. Oh no, don't high five your friend. You know, like it's just more to think about. And it's more that I'm going to, I'm going to have to spend, use my like small amount of brain capacity on like not teaching things to like, to, to, to like take, it takes my attention away from, I guess, doing my job, which I'm a little nervous about. Yeah, I just, I, uh, this is Caitlin. So I, I am actually trying to empathize a lot with, you know, the teachers and just try and, and it's going to be a whole nother, this is, this is a new thing. And I have been trying to listen to some of my other educator friends who are already in hybrid situations. And like you were, you know, had some suggestions about cameras and, and this kind of thing. I'm trying to listen to what they say, because I want to be able to offer as many, you know, helpful tips as we can, because it's almost like we we just learned a, a good amount about remote and now we're going to change over to hybrid. And I think there's, you know, a lot of anxiety about that. I think I, I'm sure so many of us share the same um, feelings, which are, we're so excited to see the kids, but it's, it's going to be new and different and we have to figure out how it's going to work. Um, so it's going to be, there's, there'll be a learning curve. And what's so the, the thing about COVID that I have to say is I think it's made people, um, just more forgiving and, and just a little bit more empathetic about, you know, I mean, I know for myself, I have, I have a baby at home and when she starts crying, I say to the kids, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, and they empathize with me. And so I think, um, I think there's that. And I think our kids have kind of learned a lot of patience and our teachers have learned a lot of, of, of patience and everything too. So hopefully that'll carry over into hybrid, the things that we've learned about just being human and being vulnerable. Tanji, I know you were interested in their grading policy. Do you want to? Yeah. yeah, that is always uh, an interesting question because, you let know. Let the record show that the record Mr. St. Louis is covering his face. He's like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Debreen's like, yup, let's talk about it. Um, I think the, the, the question is, and, and one, I want to go back and say, bravo, Dan, on the whole challenge to the concept of learning loss. Thank you. I nearly jumped through the computer as I was like writing notes and making smiley faces. Um, yes. Yay. We are high-fiving. Um, <laughs> so that being said, what are you learning about student learning? 
through the idea of assigned grades. And I think maybe that's probably the best way to ask that question, right? Because if we destigmatize grades and, and see them through the lens of a learning opportunity, what are we learning, right? Through what the grades are telling us about ourselves as educators and then about our students as learners. Uh, I mean, from the from the school, or well, for, as the only administrator from the school's perspective, I'll put it that way, um, and then I'll let Jeremy jump in. Um, you know, we even before the pandemic, I don't dictate how people have to grade their class and things like that. But I, at the beginning of every year, I kind of set a, a an overarching approach that I would like people to take. Um, in that grades, and you know, to be clear, we grade on a on a standard system. We we give the same sixty five through one hundred for passing, and below sixty five is is failing, just like any other you know school around us in the Central Mass. Um, but I try to get people to to grade and to communicate those grades in such a way that we're not relying. To be, I'll, I'll put it this way: I I ask people not to rely on homework for grades. There is homework and there are grades, but I don't want kids failing a class because they didn't do some homework. Um, if a kid, I'm a big proponent that that most of the learning, and I think a lot of our success has come from the fact that we do the learning together right now, um, which doesn't mean there is no homework. There is, but but the, the good stuff happens while we're in class together. And my opinion is that if a kid is with us every day, attending school and basically doing those things with us every day, that should be able to get them a B. I don't care how you do the math as a teacher to, to get them there. And, and an A should be hard to get. It should be rigorous to get. But someone who's there and playing along with us every single day, they, they should be able to achieve a B. Um, and I think in terms of going in remote, and you know, Jeremy's aware, when, when first quarter closed, we had a big conversation as a whole faculty. And pe some people had some strong opinions and not everybody was on the same side, but we try to come to some sort of overarching understanding. I'm part of an email chain with Jeremy right now. Like, all right, here's these kids. What, you know, the work didn't come in or they didn't come to class. Like, what's the call here? Um, you know, and in remote, again, I'm not dictating the way everybody grades, but if a kid is basically coming in remote, I'm encouraging people to be understanding of that and, and, you know, not to say don't assign things and not to say don't hold people to high expectations, certainly assign things and, and hold them to it. But in terms of failing kids, that's, that's, that's a tough line in, in the pandemic. Uh, Jeremy, I don't know, I don't know how you feel, Jeremy, about, about the idea of assigning things in remote school. Oh, sure. I can talk. Um, so I teach um, high school English. I teach ninth grade and then I teach upperclassmen as well. And I think what, my grading philosophy has been, and, and Debrina and Pedro have had me uh, this year too, so they can they can talk about me versus other teachers and uh, if they want, but um, if, if I'm doing this differently, but it's helped me kind of like trim the fat around my assignments and what it is I'm actually assessing. Um, and I'm, I'm really selective about what I'm grading and why. And I try to I try to, you know, obviously I have to assign things and I have to check students' understanding about concepts or, or grammar or their writing or whatever. Um, but I don't need to do all of that at the same time. And I, and I don't need to do that every day. And I don't need um, to do it in a way that monopolizes their time. I'm one of six classes that they have, along with a job, along with taking care of family, along with whatever their life looks like in a pandemic. And for me to assume that um, they need to spend four hours a week doing my work outside of class, I think is kind of selfish. And I think that a good teacher could get, could check their understanding uh, using a lot less of their time. That is much more importantly spent, I think probably than, than doing their English homework. We have kids who translate for their parents for, legal or medical issues. We have kids who work because their family needs them to work. We have kids who take care of their siblings because their family needs them to. And so for me to say, you know, this article about, you know, whatever is uh, is more important than you need to take care of your four-year-old little brother tonight is something that I don't, I'm not very comfortable mandating. So it's been a lot of me trying to figure out, okay, like to go <laughs> talking about parentheses again, if I want to make sure that Debrina and Pedro know how to use parentheses, 
I could probably figure out in a 10 minute assignment whether or not they understand how to use parentheses. It doesn't need to be this big thing. And I don't need to be checking for 10 other things in that assignment or in that assessment as well. So I'm trying to, I've been trying to, and I don't know if it's working. I mean, I, I think it is, but obviously we have kids who are still, I still have kids who are failing, kids who aren't coming to class, kids who are in that bubble of, should they get a, a D or should they get an F? Because as much as we don't want to fail a kid in remote learning, I have kids who have missed every class, you know, um, this quarter. And so what do you do with that? But but I think what it, what I've been trying to do with my grading policy is is make the grades worth it for, for my time to grade them because I'm busy too. Uh, and my whole teaching style has changed. So I'm not going to assign work that's a drag for me to spend two hours grading. Um, but also work that is makes sense for the class and the kids. And I, I think I've... I've come to a pretty good balance of it this year. Um, but it, it's been nice to sit down and think about, you know, again, that reason, like, why am I assigning this? Is it worth me to grade it? Is it worth the kids to spend their time on it? I'm glad that you've gotten to that question because that's been one of the questions that people are beginning to ask themselves now that we are in these truncated times of classes. How do we get to the essence of what kids need to invest intellectual time on? And so hearing you say that, I wonder, you know, do you foresee yourself sticking to that frame, uh, particularly with being, you know, focused on the essentials of learning, content skills, all of that together uh, when school goes back fully in person without being overly reductive? Well, I think so. I mean, selfishly, it's nice for me because it's less time I have to spend grading stuff that I don't want to grade. And so... And that gives me more time to come up with better lesson plans that it's more engaging for more kids to get involved with. And then I have less conversations about all these kids are failing because more of my kids like doing my work. So I think it's, you know, it, it kind of feeds itself. But I, I, so I think, I, I think there's a way to do it. I think, I think I don't have to be as reductive because another issue we're facing is I only see certain classes twice a week when I'm used to seeing them five times a week. And so I am being much more selective about what is it that I'm going to try and teach these ninth graders this year and what's doable in one in a, you know, two, what is the fraction here? Two fifths of the time that I would normally have them. Um, so I, I, I think I'll be less reductive, but I think that idea of like, is this worth it for them to do and for me to grade it? And if it's, if it doesn't, if neither of those, if the answer to either of those questions are no, then I'm not going to give that assignment. Thank you. Your students will love you for that. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> One thing I'm seeing, this is uh, Caitlin Snow, one thing I'm seeing from teachers a lot is um, they, they emphasize, you know, maybe a certain a certain skill set. And then even if the kids don't do it on their own, just giving them the opportunity, whether it's like to meet in a breakout room or a, or a office hours or something like that. So I think, and, and, and giving them the grade for that kind of participation, the idea of like, oh, you came and you tried to learn and put the effort in. And that's super important, in my opinion, for like college level skills, going to office hours, being your own self-advocate. And so the reward for being for self-advocacy is pretty a pretty nice outcome of, of student, uh, sorry, remote learning, I think, you know, like, oh, you don't understand it, come to office hours. It's such a great skill for kids to have in my opinion. Well, and just just for background for, for listeners, University Park Campus School has a very big emphasis on college going. Both, you, both the senior students are planning on going to college. You have a very high college going rate. I guess I have to ask Debrine and Pedro, do you feel like you're being prepared? Do you feel, I mean, you, you don't know until you get into college whether you're fully prepared, but do you feel like you are getting fully prepared? Uh, for me, I feel like since like this year with the, the pandemic and everything, it actually improved, I feel like, because taking away the fact with the pandemic, and of course it's going to be difficult and, and the, uh, and like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, yeah, there's bad stuff, but there's also good stuff, you know? Like now we have a class that is solely devoted of uh, doing college stuff, which is pretty good. Um, our counselors have been more connected than ever, you know? Uh, I 
like I have gone to so many meetings with uh, one of my counselor, Mr. Teresi. And like, I wouldn't really do that if I was in school because um, other students will be on him as well, you know. Now I can make appointments and meet with him any time of the day, which is pretty good. And I feel like that's a major part that has helped me, adaptation and like um, moving forward and like making appointments and stuff like that. And this is also a great skill to have. Um, there's also college classes that I have taken I take one with Mr. Shulkin, it's called English 101. And it's pretty good because I get to see what um, my future class in college is gonna look like if I even take it remotely or not. It, it, it shows the amount of work I'm gonna be taking. It shows the skill I need to have. And like, it's just a good way to see what the college experience is gonna look like. That's great. Uh, I definitely agree with, um, the green, um, by the way, shouts out to Shulkin and your teaching. It has helped me a lot. Um, I think that our school has really helped us in understanding the fact that self ad self advocacy is the main thing that they're trying to teach us just as students from like middle school to high school, because, just, this is just for me personally. I have there have been multiple times I've met with Mr. Ramirez. Um, Mr. Ramirez, one of the guidance counselors that has helped me with my college process, and Mr. Shokin. And there have been times where I thought to myself, maybe I'm bothering them a little bit too much. Maybe I should lay back and let other people try to like um, you know meet with them. But it's but they what Mr. Ramirez always told me was like first come first save. So like if you're on if you're on your if you if you really want to get your stuff done you have to make sure not only that you're self advocating for yourself but if there's something that you don't understand just ask questions you really need to like ask questions make sure that you understand what you're doing and it kind of just goes from there I think that's a very important skill that um, I think this pandemic has learned that has helped a lot of people learn. Because I remember back then and when we were in person, I feel like some of our students didn't really understand how important self-advocacy was. But now that we're in a remote setting, I see that sometimes our, um, our students and kids in, our, in my class, they, they're like, oh, in the middle of class, they ask the teacher, yo, can we set up a time then so you can help me with this? Or can we set up a time? uh on friday or next week so we can so i can help you understand this even more so i feel like i feel like this pandemic it's just like what the Bean said this pandemic has its bads but it also has its good and preparing for college has been it's gonna be tricky but i think they're preparing us just enough yeah uh that seems to really sum everything up <laughs> <laughs> that that seems like a great note to end on except i, I always want to see like did we get to all the big questions? Was there something you guys wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? I have some thoughts on mental health, but it's not necessarily education. So I'm not sure if we want to flow into that. Well, I know that at our school, um, we already have many families that are quite vulnerable to the risks of the socioeconomical and mental health risk factors. Um, and so as this pandemic has hit, they're, they're extra vulnerable to, to already having this chronic stress or, or generational trauma to manage on top of the fears of the pandemic, um, the financial challenges that are inevitable, and the isolation that our teenagers are under. They're also having a hard time being on their own and, and in little silos and not congregating like normal teenagers do developmentally. And we know that that's healthy for them. Um, so some of them are showing that they're struggling through this disconnection that some of the teachers have talked about. Um, they are not logging in and, and we find ourselves chasing them to try to get them engaged and try to try to log in at least. Um, but even, even when I do get students to agree to some Zoom counseling sessions with me, oftentimes I'm talking to a profile picture because they're not comfortable um, showing their face on the screen. So it's a different level of connection that I'm used to. And then for, for many students, they've admitted that in their homes, they have 
no place to have a private conversation about their mental health without being overheard by their families. So my, my clientele has been cut down significantly. And I find myself exchanging phone numbers. We have school phones, but like I, I get into these marathon texting rallies throughout the weekend because we're trying to work through something really difficult, but we, they need their privacy. So we have to do it the best way we can through, through texting. Um, but then, then it's pretty amazing too the amount of resilience that we've seen. And uh, these two young men are great examples of that. School and life are never easy, but you guys make this look like a dream. You guys are taking it and rolling with the punches and, and doing what you have to do and doing it with a smile on your face most of the time, which is pretty incredible. Um, but there are certainly people too who had a hard time with school for social issues, perhaps, and they're actually finding this to be better. They're finding remote learning to take away those social pressures. And as long as they can keep their camera off and get to decide when they're gonna participate, they don't feel that intense anxiety that happens when it's time to talk in class. They don't, they feel like they have more resources to ask for help privately away from the rest of the class so they don't feel embarrassed to ask those questions. So that's been nice to see and hear them report. How you think you can incorporate that when you go back? That that exact issue of um, of giving kids the ability to ask privately what they may be embarrassed to ask publicly. Yeah. Well, the the increase in technology has made that something that probably will last. Um, before, I wouldn't have thought of doing a Google Meet counseling session because no, you, come to my office and we're going to do that. But now if we're going to be hybrid, that's easy. I can still be sitting in my office and offer you that option if that's the easiest way for you to do it. I also still have a dedicated work phone number. And if you need to do texting, I will figure it out and we will, we will do what you got to do, whatever it takes to meet you where you are. Um, so I see that flexibility lasting. Yes, most definitely. I also wanted to talk about trauma for a second and how you know this pandemic has put every single one of us into practicing on and off our stress responses. So the most, even the most well-adjusted of us adults is going into fight or flight, um, is finding ourselves more irritable from time to time. Sometimes we get into that freeze mode where we're not sure and we it just can't be productive. I know personally in the spring when things were so confusing, I shut down and I was still trying to take care of myself and, and finding myself much less productive than I have evolved to be now. Um, but the, the, most, the most effective stress response is something that takes a long time to evolve and to practice, which is the affiliate response, which is turning to your support system to get response in times of crisis. And so that connection and that affiliation is what I think University Park does so well. We did so well before, but as, as an adjustment counselor, that's honestly where I spend a lot of my time trying to think, how can we make people feel less disconnected? How can we um, increase that support system as a whole? Um, we have a, a Google Classroom, a whole school Google Classroom where we can comment on the stream. And sometimes there's jokes. Sometimes this talks about the Patriots from Miss Torres. Sometimes there's, <laughs> you know, funny pictures and, and we put our twin day photos up there, spirit week before we went on vacation. And we get to be silly as a community together. So where that not necessarily is, is therapy that I'm engaging in, at least it's an opportunity for school to be a, a a choice for healing this trauma, for, for helping to resolve and, and a chance to show that resilience that so many of these people, children and adults alike, um, can engage in. And we also have had a newfound um, energy to try to support each other and are putting out some surveys for teacher well-being and checking in, how are you taking care of yourself? And um, practicing what those coping skills are in times of crisis so that we can be better role models for our students. I feel better listening to you. I, <laughs> my stress level just... <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm like, can I come to your school, please? I need some help. 
He has such a calming voice, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not when we're running cross-country, though, right, Debrine? <laughs> I would yeah. say, too, what Lauren's highlighting, it, and but in putting it in a, in a positive spin about the great work that she's done to tackle these things. And, and, you know, this whole conversation has been, here's what we tried, here's what has worked. But, you know, just to underscore again, it's been a hard year. And we and we have not done it perfectly, <laughs> and we're taking those lessons when we can, where we can, when we can, and trying to move forward together. And it has been, you know, I'm always being being the principal of University Park is, is always uh, the honor of my life. But seeing how my students and my teachers have persevered and learned and grown, it's just been a hugely prideful experience for me. I'm, I'm so proud of, of all the work that the teachers have done and for the kids for, for sticking with us through it. It's, it's just been, it's been really hard, but, but it's been tremendous. Yeah. Dan just said, you know, about our community and Lauren was talking about our community and, and it's true. Like we don't have all the answers. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, I was, thinking about engagement, right? And, and, and how, how do we tackle that and everything? And, and it's true. We, we don't have every answer, every answer, but I just think our teachers just tr will go above and beyond to try absolutely anything. You know, I mean, they, they are there making schedules for the kids. They're keeping things structured for the kids. They're, I mean, anything they could do, um, opening office hours at unconventional times just to try and get them in, you know, spirit, like Lauren said, spirit weeks and inventing things like mix it up day, just things to get the kids talking. And just like we would, if we were in, you know, our, our cozy classrooms. <laughs> and so I, I, I know we're trying our best, but um, just the playfulness, the memes, the videos, the the little stories, you know, that keep things that keep things real and honest, and and you know, keep everyone remembering that that we're people and we're all going through this this thing together. You know, that's that's one thing, and and just and the 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 kids, it's it's hard. It's hard to go online and and you know talk from behind your screen. There's there's this vulnerability that's that's not there when you're in a class because I don't know, you have a relationship and you can just something about eye contact even where you can kind of just feel more comfortable, you know, and, and just our teachers are so great about when there's a mistake, they honor that mistake and they make it such a learning opportunity. And, and I don't know, it's, it's still, it's still all about trying to make the kids and everyone see, feel safe and secure, even though it's this online environment and it's, it's new to everyone. So it's just such a credit to our teachers and our kids for, for taking risks and for being vulnerable and, and doing what they have to do every day. Well, let's just put this in perspective. You're all making, all of you are making dozens and dozens, possibly hundreds of decisions every day. Some of them are going to be wrong. There's, there's, <laughs> The odds, right? And the uh, the ability to kind of go, oh, well, that was a mistake, and and correct for it. That's that seems to me to be the um, the key to to any kind of really functional community. And it seems like you're a functional community. We'll see how you do in March, right? Right. <laughs> Your fingers crossed for us. <laughs> Um, any other last words? That was really powerful. I just want to thank you for inviting our kids uh, and hearing the voices of Debrina and Pedro throughout this. I mean, it's it, I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it as long as I work, but it's always better to hear straight from the kids. Um, well, and I want to I want to thank all of you, but particularly Debrina and Pedro because um, you did add a huge amount to this. You added a lot of insight and experience. So thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. So that wraps up this episode of Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times, a podcast of the Education Trust. If you're interested in learning more about the story of University Park Campus School, I devoted a chapter to it in my very first book, It's Being Done, published in 2007. And in my last book, Schools That Succeed, I follow up with what has happened with UPCS and their leaders. Um, I want to thank everyone at EdTrust whose work supports this podcast and the Wallace Foundation, which provides financial support. Mike Patillo of Tonal Park records and edits the podcast and composed its theme music. This is Karen Chenoweth. 
see you next time.